0: Hey.
1: Hello. Thanks for coming. We're going to kick off with uh, an acknowledgement to our sponsors. Bruce, why don't you come up and, and do those thanks. This is uh,
2: Bruce Jackson, our sponsorship chair. Good morning. My name is Bruce Jackson, and I have served this year as a sponsorship chairman under Bill's leadership. And I'm happy to see all of you here this morning. I want to just take a brief moment to thank those uh, organizations that stepped up to Uh, sponsor this uh, event financially. As our conference title suggests, this is not the easiest year to to step up to that obligation, and our sponsors this year have done so with their money, with the time of their people, both serving as panelists, moderators, and also uh, volunteering the time and skills of people within their organizations to uh, help us out with various tasks. They've been a pleasure to work with, and I'm honored to say thank you to the law firm of Hale and Doerr, the law firm of Lowenstein Sandler, the venture capitalist Blue Chip Venture Company, investment bankers Carver Cross Securities Corp., Gomez Inc., who, men- who merits special mention for the obvious reasons, the law firm of Miller and & Mitchell, and the law firm of Swigert & Agin. Please remember these firms as you think about the development of your company and your requirements in the areas that uh, these companies serve. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you, Bruce. So, uh, good morning. Uh, I'd just like to ask, um, uh, sort of take a a poll of uh, some of the audience members. How many here are planning to uh, stick around for reunions? That's a pretty good number. How many here uh, just came down for the day? All right. And um, let me ask, how many of you were uh, employed a year ago? This is just to screen out the students. Okay. And how many of you um, are employed by the same employer this year? Oh, very stable. Um, I'd uh, I'd just like to state uh, what brought me here today, which was, uh, interestingly enough, was my senior thesis in 1977. I wrote a a study of the New England cotton manufacturing industry, how it started from nothing in 1820. And um, what people forget and what people forgot in in sort of the generation preceding mine was that uh, our, our country also started from nothing, and is uh, is built on was built on the entrepreneurial efforts of uh, generations upon generations of people. So you're very much in that tradition. And um, Princeton, I, th- I think, it has been uh, an extremely strong supporter of, of the growth of companies over the, over the 10 or 11 or 12 generations that it's been around. And um, uh, for some reason, I don't know quite why, it, a, a, a tremendous amount of focus has been generated just in the last uh, 10 or 15 years on on that that factor and that phenomenon, and um, it's uh, it's to- totally incumbent on Princeton as uh, as a community and uh, as an institution to uh, to get into the leadership of that of that phenomenon. A lot of that is. Uh, uh, other, a few other clubs have started elsewhere, but not too many. And we're, we're. Uh, I think we can be considered pretty much in the vanguard, of, uh, of groups that uh, sponsor entrepreneurship. The MIT Enterprise Forum has been doing it for about 15 or 20 years. But I, as far as I know, other than Stanford, uh, we're probably the third university that specifically has a group that, of alumni which is organized, and which uh, whose mission is solely to promote the growth of. Uh, of technology and high-growth companies, and I hope that uh, uh, with the efforts of all of us who who have been involved in this and getting it started, that we will be able to sustain that effort. Um, uh, one of our one of our alumni, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, said there are no second acts in, in American life, and that was uh, six or seven years ago. Well, that was uh, when people lived less and smoked more, and the bankruptcy laws were a lot tougher. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, I think uh, you know we also need to be aware of the risk uh, risk uh, riskiness of this area of endeavor and uh, we wouldn't none of us would be here today if we weren't uh, our speaker today is uh, is uh, very much a guiding light in uh, in in the area of uh, in one of the most risky areas of, of the American economy today the internet his company gomez.com provides essentially a uh, at least its, its original mission was uh, to provide a uh, kind of a consumer report of uh, internet sites. If you want to uh, vet the uh, the effectiveness, the reliability, the trustworthiness of a website, go to Gomez.com, and uh, you can. The odds are pretty good that you'll find some sort of evaluation, at least in the product category or service category that you're looking for. I know Julio has been. Uh, um, his company has been has started some new initiatives as well, working directly with uh, with companies and ISPs, and um, uh, more of a I guess more of a B2B format essentially your new your new initiative. Julio uh, himself is uh, the son of a of a Presbyterian minister, which maybe what uh, maybe why his father had allowed allowed him to come here in the first place. I don't know, but uh, his, his dad is actually retired and lives in the area. He, he has three kids. He lives in. Uh, Is it Lincoln, Uh, Lincoln, Mass? Concord, Mass. And his company is in Waltham. He's an extremely uh, interesting speaker and is in great demand, uh, uh, partly because of what he does and probably because of his effectiveness. So we're extremely lucky to have him here today. And why don't we all give him a good good welcome.
3: Thanks, Bill. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I want to uh, congratulate Bill and Bruce and Devin and the team from the Princeton Entrepreneurs Network for putting together what I think is going to be a, a great day. Uh, uh, very challenging and very interesting uh, workshops and panels, and also congratulate them on the uh, on the feat of not only roping me into being a speaker but a sponsor. That's not easy to do. So, but uh, you know it. I'm very uh, excited about being here, mainly because I've never been on this side of it in Makash 50, and I couldn't really turn that down. And for those of you who knew me at Princeton, I don't see anyone very familiar. Not that we would recognize each other after 20 years anyway, but uh, you realize how unlikely this is that I'm up here uh, speaking. But... uh, you know one of the things that we're going to uh, talk about today the the, uh, the theme is back to fundamentals and you know It's not so much back to fundamentals to me as sticking to fundamentals. I don't think that fundamentals were abandoned wholesale, uh, although they were in some very notable examples, which is really what we all have uh, have been noticing and what's keeping Bill's uh, bankruptcy partner uh, active uh, up in his law firm in Boston. But, uh, you know, there there has been uh, some some strong fundamentals that continue to be important. Uh, One of them is one that uh, we focus on at Gomez, which is the, uh, the customer experience. Experience and what has emerged is, you know, a, a new discipline of understanding the customer experience in a whole new channel, which is the internet. And uh, I can't resist, you know, being in Macosh 50 and not being somewhat instructional in nature. So, what I'm going to aspire to provide here today is, uh, after a brief uh, explanation of what we do at Gomez, because I know that. As entrepreneurs and uh, and venture capitalists, uh, generally you all are interested to some degree in, in in what our story is. but I'd like to also move into uh, a couple of methodologies. One is to help you understand the framework by which uh, you know our leading benchmarking of e-commerce sites, what that framework is. so what an external analysis Uh, looks like, and then to move into uh, an explanation of what we think is a a very important framework for internal analysis of the quality of an Internet offering. Uh, But first, I think we need to uh, talk about some things that have changed in the past few months. There have been some significant changes in terms of some of of the definitions that were accepted that are really being redefined, for example, uh, B2C that is very quickly being redefined as back to consulting as opposed to back to as opposed to business to consumer b2b likewise is back to banking which we've seen a, a lot of that going on and then there was the uh, you know there was a lot of talk of hot network ideas out you know over the past year and really the only hot network idea right now is a new show on abc called who used to be a millionaire so this one, uh, I have to give credit to uh, Bob Davis, uh, the, who stepped down from uh, from Lycos, he's been flogging this, who used to be a millionaire in his reference to uh, David Wetherill and uh, CMGI uh, for the past few days, it's a good one. Uh, but uh, what we've really been focusing on uh, hasn't changed uh, over the past few years. We have had an obsession with the customer experience and figuring out ways Uh, to reduce that to binary metrics. And so what we've done is built a company uh, that really at its core is an expertise company. And as uh, as Internet experts, what we do is define the elements of quality in the Internet delivery of services. That is the job of our analysts. And then to translate those elements of quality into binary criteria, ones and zeros. An online broker either has free real-time quotes or they don't. An online travel agent either lets you reserve a flight today and come back to buy the ticket tomorrow, or they don't. And these uh, criteria then uh, become the basis for our scorecards, which is what Bill was referring to on our Gomez.com site, which is a small part of our business, but a very important one, because in essence what we're doing is putting our expertise uh, in public display and and, uh, inviting although it's not always inviting what we get, but the, uh, the debate that ensues is usually very, very good for our firm. And our, our scorecards have become de facto standards for measuring quality uh, in e-commerce. And the way we've structured the firm is with three business units. Gomez.com is the publicly available website. It helps consumers find the e-commerce firm that's right for them. It's full of content, tools to help them in their decision support, uh, as well as promotions uh, that are offered from merchants. And our business model behind Gomez.com is what we call performance media, which is a form of performance-based marketing, meaning that we are not, uh, we are not fond of banner ads, particularly in this setting, but we will allow firms to provide promotions to uh, consumers. And if consumers avail themselves of those promotions and sign up for brokerage accounts or buy books, then we will uh, generate a fee. Gomez Pro, which is really the bulk of our business right now, is a suite of services designed to help businesses improve the quality of their online offering. And I very specifically am not saying e-commerce, because we have focused a lot on e-commerce because that's where a lot of activity is. Uh, But, in fact, in understanding best practices, best practices in the internet delivery of services. We have applied that across a broad range of industries, including pharmaceutical companies, trying to help help doctors get at uh, the information on their products to uh, -to business-to-business exchanges, trying to enhance the customer experience, institutional platforms for financial services. These are all areas in which understanding best practices and customer experience are important. So we've built a suite of uh, tools, data, and analysis to help them improve the quality of their services. Uh, And our newest division, Gomez Networks, leverages something that we had been doing uh, for almost from the beginning with our rankings, and that's measuring the speed and reliability of websites. Uh, we, We very early on determined that speed and reliability are important elements of quality in the Internet delivery of services and are very big effectors of the customer experience uh, mid last year, we set out to commercialize the capability that we developed that we had developed. and we right now uh, are, are proud of what, uh, what we've built, which is a 50 node global virtual private network on which, uh, which sits on 24 different backbones. We have um, deployed on uh, in, those, uh, in those nodes our servers and our software agent. Our agent is capable of downloading a specified URL testing it for the speed of the download of that URL as well as its reliability those times in which it fails to load and replicating that data in real-time back to the host database, where we make that data available to our clients uh, through uh, a browser interface, which they can customize. So that allows networking professionals at Global 2000 companies to understand what the customer experience is with regards to speed and reliability from around the world in real-time. Once they've made this multimillion-dollar investment, in their online offering, they need to know if it's working and what the experience is at the user level. And so we have provided that through our Gomez Networks division. All of this is under our umbrella uh, mission of being the world's leading Internet quality measurement firm. We are always trying to get everything down, to, to focus on metrics, and to the extent possible on binary metrics, ones and zeros. And that is our uh, the basis of, of the company so you know the question is uh, you know what you know we talked about uh, or bill in his introduction mentioned that you know there's a need for uh, a service like gomez.com and also services in gomez pro but one of the things that we found early on is that uh, as consumers decided that they wanted to do things on the internet they were faced with a very confusing set of choices Uh, many of the firms that they were uh, that they were finding online Uh, were very unfamiliar to them. Brands were being built in real time. uh, And so they needed some source for uh, slicing and dicing and doing due diligence on who to do business with. And that's where we applied our methodologies or developed our methodologies and applied them uh, and developed our scorecards. Um, So I'd like to talk a little bit about the methodology. The first thing that we look to do is, uh, as I mentioned, is to reduce everything to binary criteria. So it's all ones and zeros. This is a snapshot on the left. Of our client server application that we have internally, our scorecard system that allows our analysts to gather uh, the data, uh, put it into the system, which then in turn, uh, through our publishing engine, uh, creates the pages that you see on Gomez.com as well as specific tools in our Gomez Pro uh, research station. Uh, and what we like, what we use as an analogy to this process is you know, an Impressionist painting where it starts if you look really closely at an impressionist painting all you'll see is you know a few dots that are really meaningless uh at if you're looking at that close a level but they are unequivocal it's a red dot it's a blue dot it's a green dot and as you step back the, it starts to take some shape, and really, all the way back, you can see the form of, in the case of our scorecards, a fully functioning e-commerce site or online offering. And you can distinguish between the ones that are growing strong and the ones that are, uh, that are wilting. And that is really the basis on which we uh, are building our scorecards and our uh, data that we then share with the markets. Uh, We organize this data into five basic areas. And this is really uh, the framework for what i described as the external analysis, what we do uh, in terms of analyzing the quality of Internet offerings. The five categories that we use are ease of use, customer confidence, on-site resources, relationship services, and overall cost. We think these are the essential elements of a good customer experience. And I'd like to go into uh, each of them uh, in some detail. Uh, the one that I won't go into is overall cost. That varies from industry to industry. Uh, suffice to say that we look to determine, from uh, for, uh, within an industry, what the cost is of cost is of a basket of goods, or in the case of brokerage, for example, a similar uh, grouping of transactions, like you know, 10 limit orders uh, on NASDAQ, uh, 10 uh, market orders on the New York Stock Exchange, and so on and so forth. So let's go into the – oh, actually, before we do that, uh, let me just give you a picture of the growth that we've had in terms of our scorecards. First of all, across industries. We started in June of 1997. I delivered a keynote address at the Securities Industry Association uh, Information Management Conference in New York uh, and announced the formation of Gomez as well as our first Internet broker scorecard, which is really kind of counterintuitive because, you know, there were 27 firms at the time, and we were really primarily a consulting firm to start. And uh, you know it's not usually a good strategy to start off your consulting practice by basically pissing off 26 out of the 27 potential clients that you might have. Boy, that felt kind of funny. I just said a cuss word in Mikash 50, didn't I? <laughs> um, poopy. Yeah, it's OK. All right. Uh, and uh, we extended that across all industries, really, to, to get to where we, wherever consumers are doing a meaningful number of transactions online, and there's a confusing number of service providers. We wanted to be there with a scorecard and all the attendant services for the professional community. We also uh, found that this was uh, a global need, so we have uh, expanded into Canada, uh, the UK, uh, Japan or Korea, whichever one this is, I really can't tell, and then Japan or Korea. So we've uh, uh, gone abroad with this need. Uh, we, in fact, have a joint venture with SoftBank uh, for, our, uh, for basically a clone of Gomez, Inc. Uh, for Japan, and we have a strategic relationship with Samsung in Korea. Okay, so the five categories, ease of use, customer confidence, on-site resources, relationship services, and overall cost. Now, we might even have a quiz on this at some point here. All right. Ease of use. Well, we ask some basic questions here in determining the criteria for ease of use. Uh, we try to do it from a user's perspective, and uh, the, ca- the subcategory, one of the subcategories, is accessibility. And a typical question would be, is how easy is it to become a customer? And in terms of reducing it to binary criteria, in the case of brokerage, for example, we'll look for a demo of the service i mean just two years ago you would go to some of these broker online brokerage firms after you know they would spent millions to get you there and you couldn't see what the service was like you had to have a username and password which you could only get if you were a customer okay so at least show me what it's like to have a relationship with your firm so we look for an online demo we we're also looking for uh, online applications again there are still some firms uh, that require that you fill out a, a, an online form and then they'll send you information by mail that's one end of the extreme, and then the the other end is uh, Credit Suisse First Boston Direct, which was originally PCFN, which and then DLJ Direct, which is, where you can go online, fill out an application, they will do a real time credit check on you, and potentially authorize you for trading on the spot. So how easy is it to become a customer? There's several things that we can look for in doing that. We're also looking for the integration uh, of data on the site. It's not uh, later on under. Uh, on-site resources. We look for the specific features and resources that you have, but under ease of use, we're looking for for how you integrate them. Because what firms have trouble understanding sometimes is that customers come to them with specific tasks in mind, and companies are having trouble understanding what those tasks are. But they're not that complicated. If I'm going to CSFB Direct to research IBM, that means I want to get a quote. And after I get a quote, I want to see the news, Perhaps if, I'm still, if I'm still interested, I might want to look up some research, maybe look at some charts. But the way a lot of these firms look at it is, well, the customer that wants to get a quote can go into our quote section. If they want some research, they can just click on research and go in there. And basically, they have to restart the process of typing in IBM every single time. That's a simple example of, uh, of, of the, the areas in which companies fall short in not understanding the tasks that the customers are trying to accomplish. And a lot of what we look for in integration is how well they integrate the resources of the, uh, of the site to achieve certain tasks uh and then design which you know is the most challenging one to reduce to binary criteria but we decidedly are not uh you know like figure skating judges you know i kind of like that it's a 6.8 you know let's take the high and the low throw them out and then average the rest you know it's got to be in order for this to work it has to be binary so we look for things like are critical features a click away and that could be you know the the uh, the customer service telephone number is there help a help button available on every page is navigation consistent throughout the site many of you have had the uh, you know the, the the harrowing experience of uh, going to one service provider and feeling as though you're at 10 different sites at once where you're forcing the user to relearn a navigation scheme every time they access one of your services now that is a that is a barrier to ease of use and that's the kind of thing that we can look for Moving on to customer confidence, this is where we're looking for the ways that the firm is earning their brand trust. We're not looking for the value of their brand, but the ways in which what they are doing to earn it. And so we're looking in one subcategory for strength, and we're looking for what's behind the curtain. In the case of some of these firms, we're looking for adequate funding. We're looking for, uh, in the case of brokerage, minimum net capital. We're looking for things like number of engineers uh, per, per customer, number of customer service uh, representatives per active customer, and so forth as well as some of their satisfaction guaranteed and other policies, things that uh, instill customer confidence. And this is also where our reliability data plays an important role under customer confidence. One of the best ways to squander the goodwill that you have with your customer base online is to have a slow site or an unreliable site, particularly if you're trying to uh, conduct commerce. Uh, Let me just move on from there. Responsiveness. We're also looking for the ability of the customer service infrastructure to respond to uh, the inevitable problems uh, that people have uh, on their site. So we send out emails, we check to see if we get a relevant response and uh, within a timely fashion. We also call directly the customer service department to see how well customer service is able to support the online offering and answer basic questions about the online offering. And on-site resources, which is really what most people think you know, rankings are all about. Um, But this one component of what we do, uh, this is the sort of what you've got Kind of category, and one of the things we're looking for is content. Uh, content, of course, being uh, you know, the the internet as a publishing mechanism is very powerful, uh, and there's an ability to provide contextual content that will help consumers in their decision making about products, about services, about investments. And we're looking for all that. We're looking for market data and product information. We're also looking for tools. Again, the ability to deliver decision support tools to consumers is important. Uh, screens and analytics. For uh, for brokerage, for example, uh, you know, asset allocation tools, stock screening tools. Uh, in the case of uh, retail or apparel, for example, product comparison tools. Uh, we're also looking for the basic product set that they have, the breadth of product. Uh, in the case of brokerage, can you open a 401k? Can you open an IRA? Uh, can you open a Uniform Gift to Minors Act account? these types of things. Options. Also, are you offering options, bonds, stocks, etc. So breadth of product is an important thing that's captured under our on-site resources uh, category. Relationship services, now this is an area in which there's a tremendous opportunity and where many of the leaders in delivering services online have distinguished themselves. Because they've really uh, leveraged the technology and the ability to aggregate content to help build an electronic relationship with their customers. No matter what industry you talk to, brokerage, retail, uh, credit cards, they're all obsessed with building uh, that relationship with the customer, a sticky relationship. And uh, this this category is an area where they can do that. For example, uh, one subcategory is advice. We're looking for the firm's capabilities in terms of help and tutorials, the kinds of things that you would expect from a human intermediary, a sales clerk, or a broker Uh, recommendations reviews Uh, these are the kinds of things that can be offered online that we're looking for in relationship services helps build the value of the firm to the client also automation the ability of a firm to serve back to the customer information about their activity with the firm Past purchase history, uh, whether it's you know you're, if you want to if you want to find your cost basis uh, for the IBM that you bought a year and a half ago, can this firm, which has it somewhere in its system, provide it to you online? Uh, better yet, can they alert you uh, when things that you are interested in uh, become available? Uh, Amazon is, of course, uh, one of the firms that really does exceptionally well in all of these areas including sophistication Uh, that's where we're looking for ways and that's where things like personalization and customization come into play and other other things like loyalty programs the kinds of things that help build the bond uh, and the switching cost increase the switching cost from one firm to another once Uh, When a firm leverages all the capabilities that are available to them under the relationship services category and can compel consumers to use these, and that's not a small challenge, by the way, and that's where you really go back to ease of use. Is it easy to use these things that they offer? But once they do that, they have really built a bond. Uh, it, It comes to the point, again, I'll bring up the Amazon example, where price does become less important to you because of the the satisfaction you're going to get from the experience, because of really the productivity that you can have with that site. It's a fast site. It's reliable. They know what I want. I know how to use it. I know before I go in how it's going to work. I know about how long it's going to take. And I know what I can expect at the other end of it. Okay, so now it's time for that quiz, I promised you. All right, we'll we'll, uh, review the five categories. We're only going to look at four, ease of use, customer confidence, on-site resources relationship services i wonder if i get an associate professorship for this if i could actually give a quiz here i'm going to put up some home pages of some websites and see if you can guess which category a particular feature falls under okay so here's ebay let's take uh this one right here here's a list on the left can you see that cursor it's right there Uh, a list of categories now which scorecard category do you think that would fall under? Ease of use, customer confidence, on-site resources, or relationship services? What was that? It's not ease of use. On-site resources, because it's the breadth of product, right? Let's go with an easy one here. Upper right-hand corner. You're insured. Trade with confidence. That'd be ease of use, customer confidence, (laughs) on-site resources. Okay. Uh, How about this one? Cool features. Can't find what you're looking for? Let personal shopper help you. Ease of use, customer confidence, on-site resources, or relationship services. Relationship services, right? It's mimicking what a human intermediary would do. All right, let's move on to the next one. Here's preview travel. Okay, on the left, earn up to 200 miles. Click rewards. Relationship services, exactly. Building that bond uh, with the user. uh, Increasing that switching cost. How about uh, destination guides featuring photos? On-site resources. Very good. It's that content piece. Uh, Site shortcuts in the upper right-hand corner. Ease of use, exactly. Site maps, site shortcuts, these are all good things. Uh, Let's just do one from this E-Trade. In the lower left-hand corner, and this is is not as simple as you might think, but graphics on and off. That particular feature, what category would that fall into? that's what you would think but it doesn't it's relationship services because it's the customization feature and it's allowing the consumer to interact with you based on the way they want to interact with you they can optimize if they have a if they're coming in over a over a 56k modem at home they'll switch the graphics off if they're coming at you from work on, over a T1, they'll switch the graphics on. You're giving the consumer the or the user, because it doesn't have to be just consumers, any user. You're giving them the power to interact with you on their terms. That's relation. That's how you build relationship. Okay, great. So now let's move on. That's a, that's external uh, measurement. That's how you know the Gomez scorecards are created. That's really one of the uh, hopefully you'll take away uh, the framework of how we look uh, at any online offering. But now let's look at at ways in which uh, companies uh, we think should be internally looking at the development of their online strategies. We call it Internet quality measurement, and that's the analysis of the quality of the uh, online experience. And it starts with, um, it's a cycle. It starts with evaluating your offering. It moves into gauging your industry and customers, comparing your offering against the competition, refining your online strategies measuring and monitoring that investment and then it, of course it starts all over again so let's take them one at a time evaluate your offering well what we're looking for here is f- to take stock of what you've got what really are the resources that you have available what really is uh, your your customer base that you're serving or what you believe your value proposition is what do you think your users intentions are and how does that match up against your business objectives so an evaluation of the way you're currently serving customers online is an important first step evaluate your offering once you feel that you've got a good sense of how you're how you really are interacting with your customers online you can move on to the next step which is gauging the industry and your prospective customers so you need to take a look at what the trends are in the industry in which you're competing what are the market opportunities what looks ripe right for uh, exploitation also what are the folks who are not your customers looking for and how can you so that you can better understand how to attract them to grow your business and also there's an element engaging industry and customers that involves a deeper look into your own customer base not just how they're interacting with you but really how satisfied they are, they are. Once you've gathered that information, you're ready to compare your offering against those in the industry. And that involves understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your offering compared to the competition, understanding what the different value propositions are that are out there that are bombarding your customers and your prospective customers, and starting to get a handle on where the opportunities are for your firm uh, to differentiate in in, in a crowded environment. Once you've compared your offering, you're ready, and only then are you ready to refine your online strategies. This is really the point that many firms make, a, make the mistake of starting with. Let's, they, 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 they get a group of high-powered people together into a room and say, all right, let's get an online strategy right now. Okay, And you know you just can't start there. That's an important place to be. But the only way to make effective decisions is is by going through the process of evaluating your offering, gauging your industry and customers, and comparing your offering. Then you you have all the data and uh, information that you need uh, to make those effective decisions. Once you've made your decisions and you've you've, uh, you've figured out how to target new customers, how to accelerate the migration of your existing customers to the Web, because many firms are – challenged by that. They set up the, their internet channel as a, as a way to reduce customer service costs and just find that not only is it a, an incremental expense that they've borne, but it actually increases the number of telephone calls that they have. So how are they going to accelerate the migration and adoption of their customers to their web offering? And then how to cross-sell to existing customers? All the, These are all the questions uh, that can be answered uh, at, at, the, at this point in the process. Once you've made those decisions and implemented them, uh, it's important to measure and monitor because the the reality is that speed and reliability do matter. You've you've invested a lot of of, of brain power into developing an online strategy. You've invested a lot of uh, human resources, technical resources. Uh, You've purchased a lot of hardware. Chances are you spent a lot on marketing as well. They're multi-million-dollar investments. You have to make sure that they're useful to someone. Like this is a. This is a beautiful campus. We all like coming here. But if it was set out in the middle of the ocean someplace, it would be far less practical, uh, and it would really reduce its value uh, to to anyone who wanted to access it. And so uh, the same goes for an online offering. Uh, All the marketing savvy, all the techno wizardry, and all the great products and features that you might have to offer your, your customers online, all that can be squandered. If, the, if it does not meet the customer's expectations with regards to speed and reliability. And we've got I can show you statistics, but let's just move on. Um, and, and so what you need to do is take a look at your, uh, your own uh, your own performance against uh, your competitors in the industry. Uh, and you also need to look at uh, not only the speed of the download, but whether or not uh, it's reliable. For example, you may have a site that on average, is on par with your competitors but you have an unusually high failure rate meaning that 20% of the time or, or 10% of the time your site actually fails to load uh, And so you need to look at it from both angles so that's the point you need that, that you need to look at you need to look at uh, uh, you need to measure and monitor the availability of this important offering that you put in front of your customers so to summarize what we're looking at in terms of an internal framework, uh, for evaluation it's to understand your first understand your customers experience what how well are you understanding your customers uh, expectations and your business objectives and measuring how how you're meeting both of those online know what your cu- what what customers and your industry uh, demand and also understand what the industry trends are also know how you stack up to the competition You have to do that analysis, because what we've we've all come to the conclusion about over the past year is that no one can do everything anymore. That is a decided change in the last year. Uh, You have to pick your spots, and you have to pick your battles, and that's where creating a competitive advantage uh, can come into play. Only if you understand where the opportunities are. And then finally, uh, measure your performance. So, uh, in general... In order to do an internal analysis of uh, the quality of your online offering, you need to be engaged in an ongoing process. It's an analytical process that's both internal and external. It involves uh, marshalling a lot of the resources uh, from uh, within your firm and focusing them uh, specifically on the customer experience. This is something that we have seen uh, over the past four years since uh, since we've started the company, is that companies have, Slowly but surely come around to the understanding that uh, this has to be a customer experience-driven process, whether they are selling books to consumers online or whether they're selling uh, uh, equity derivatives uh, to global investors uh, through their website. Uh, and so this is the uh, the focus of these firms right now, and this is the science that is starting to emerge uh, that we're very excited about uh, focusing on ourselves at, at Gomez. I hope that was helpful to you in terms of understanding the two frameworks, the external and the internal framework. Uh, and that, uh, at this point, I believe we have some time for some questions. Uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. So good.
1: Questions and answers. I guess you have to leave at 12. Yep. So you have
3: have time for that. Yes, sir. I think they want you to speak into the mic.
1: Yeah, uh, I can take this opportunity to tell you that Uh, higher uh, performance is being recorded and will be available on our website, which we'll give you a link for later.
4: The the models you've shown, the scorecard and the other models, are static two-dimensional models. And I was wondering if you did any dynamic N-dimensional modeling. And then the other question is that, The key to success in this particular business space is establishing as many standards as possible that meet your architecture, and I was wondering if you did any consulting in those areas.
3: I think the answers are no and no. Uh, But uh, I'm I'm intrigued by your second question. Uh, Can you please uh, elaborate on that? Sorry, the mic goes back to that, gentlemen.
4: one kind of standard is like the one-click shopping or just a, a, a something that Bill Gates does that is sort of becomes the way everybody does it. But there are right. also hundreds of standards that Bill Gates, Visa, IBM, and other companies work very hard to establish. They They establish standards bodies. They join standards bodies. And what they do is they use their participation in those standards bodies to make sure that the standards meet their architecture, which then gives them a huge proprietary edge because it's not just a feature or a standard. It's hundreds of standards that have been established, all of which fit Bill Gates's architecture. Sure. Got it.
1: Could you state your name and affiliation for the record, please?
4: Uh, I'm David Marshak. I am chief technology officer of a dot-com startup that is sort of moribund, um, And I, I, I'm, I'm in a sufficiently good position with my employer, Bank of America, that they allowed me to work that second job and
3: still keep my first job. Thank you. Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> So, uh, just to respond to that, yeah, I think that there is a there. There's more of a vested interest on the part of technology providers, whether it be software or hardware, to push on those things. Uh, Our role is to uh, understand best practices in the internet delivery of services. So, there's an element of standards work in that, and a lot of what we identify as best practices, we like to be adopted as standards but not to the degree that you're talking about but another part of our role is to understand what the, what standards are emerging and which ones the industry should get behind and as an objective uninterested third party we will advise them on you know whether or not it makes any sense to spend a lot of resources getting behind you know OFX or uh, or 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 uh, or the gold uh, standard from uh, the IBM competitor to OFX and so forth
0: Josh, Josh. Glantz, uh, Class of 90. I'm the producer of the New York City Venture Capital Conference. Could you talk a little bit more about the relationship between your consulting group and your rankings group? Because it sounds like there's potential for a conflict between church and state and how you're going out and getting customers who then you have to rank.
3: Sure. Yeah, the, um, there, is a, 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 there is a potential conflict of interest, uh, but, you know, we did not invent – uh, the notion of editorial integrity or separation of churches and state, they're actually widely in use, uh, and we ascribe to them. Uh, but you know, much the way uh, you know Barons and its ranking of the online brokers will have ads, you know, we actually go one step beyond that. We won't have advertising. But if you go to, if you look at Forbes' best of the web, Barron's ranking of online brokers, whatever it is, you will see advertising from firms that are being ranked in there. Uh, th- let me just tell you so, so you know we have separation Church and say we have analysts that do that gather the data and that uh, write research and advise companies based on the findings. What we also do as a company is make that publicly available through our scorecards. Uh, The revenues that we generate through the Gomez.com site are, I wouldn't say they're trivial, but they're not a majority of our revenues, but they're clearly secondary. So what we saw was an opportunity to have a public face with some revenues attached to it to increase our brand awareness and quite frankly to keep us on our toes i mean unlike others who will sit as consultants and tell you whatever you want to hear or or what you don't want to hear we have to have our opinions and our evaluations constantly scrutinized by, by the public and we think that makes us stronger uh... also in terms of uh... you know the whole idea of uh, conflict conflict of interest can be manifested in many ways um, you know how do how does someone know that we don't take money to make someone number one for example well you know i could ask you uh... how do i know you don't beat your wife you know i have to assume that at some point it's going to come out that you beat your wife uh... just as you should assume that after four years it would have come out you think about the Amazon.com situation how long did it take for people to find out that they were getting paid to have their recommended book on the uh, uh, be a pay for uh, pay for placement position, and yet in four years, you know we have not had a single instance like that. That's because we there's no money in it for us, and it's so at the core of what we do to have in, uh, integrity in our rankings that we simply uh, don't have any sort of activities like that going on. So, you know, part, really at, at the core of this is how the company conducts its business uh, and then basically adhering to separation of church and state. So there's potential conflict of interest just like there's really potential conflict of interest in, in just about any business. And we have uh, made it a key part of our corporate culture and and the way that we conduct our business to uh, ensure that there is – that the rankings are of the highest integrity. Hi, Irfan Kamal. I'm the founder of
0: a media entertainment startup called Changers. My question, I guess, is uh, something you you said you were going to probably get a question on, which is how do how do you start out? Uh, how do you? Uh, what are the source of funding you started out with? And uh, any advice for people starting internet businesses? right now.
3: Okay. Um, uh, I started in the financial services industry uh, as a bond trader at what is now HSBC and uh, had basically a career in finance uh, from 85 to 96. In 92, I started a brokerage firm. In 94, I acquired a, a in Boston. I, I acquired a Washington, D.C. based firm and I was busily building a, a regional broker dealer in the Boston area when you know, I started to read about lombard securities and k off house are offering their clients the ability to enter trades over the internet and that's when i realized just something something short-circuited in me and it said i've got i've got to get behind this somehow so i sold to uh, to my partners and went to work at forrester research as an analyst uh, because one of the first rules of trading that you learn is that you have to be in the middle of the information flow to get a trade done, so Forrester at the time, what I thought was a great place uh, to survey the landscape, specifically for online financial services, and it did turn out that way. I wrote a report in, the, in September of '96 called "Brokers on the Web" that just spread like wildfire. It became, you know, the topic of discussion at uh, the Securities Industry Association roundtables. I was, you know, giving speeches everywhere. I was meeting with senior management. I, w- I was in the flow, and so that gave me the opportunity to open uh, to start Gomez and to shift because i saw an opportunity to shift away from writing reports about how the world was going to change in five years and instead to help companies that were struggling with some uh... pretty immediate decisions that they had to make with and some burning questions that they had about who's doing what 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 technologies work uh... who do you know someone who can do this that and the other and so we saw an opportunity to start uh... start helping firms uh, with actionable advice uh in and short-term decisions and also to provide them with an accounting of what was going on in the industry which really is what the scorecard is at its core it's a full accounting that's updated you know uh two to four times a year of what's going on in a particular industry and so we started the company with a million and a half of seed financing from one of my clients at Forrester, and uh then we did a, that was in uh, that was in June of 97. Then we did a B round in February of 99 for about five and a half million. Then we did a C round about at the end of 99 for about 25 million. And then we just completed uh, a DNE round uh, pretty much on the heels of uh, each other in uh, over the past six months for another 15 million. So a lot of money has been invested in the company. Um, And a lot of the investment dollars have gone into uh, the most recent division that we've built, the Gomez Networks piece, because that's a big network infrastructure uh, that we've built. But the margins on it are excellent. And we are going after what is basically a monopoly provider of performance monitoring services right now, and that's Keynote Systems, which we think is very, very vulnerable. Um, both in terms of the technology, we have significant advantages in terms of faster, better, cheaper over keynote, uh, and also in terms of customer service because uh, we are able to provide a higher level of service plus the value added services of analysis. Uh, and that's really what our TAC is going to be going our strategy is going forward to provide data. But also an analysis add-on, which very few firms can can do. So we've developed an analytical capability that we can put on top of all kinds of data, and that's where we're that's how we're going to grow moving forward.
1: Okay, we have time for two more questions. Uh, that
3: side, please. Okay, here I am. Hi, uh, David Gleipner, I'm a,
1: I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur, and now um, head up Care Capital. I'm curious. Uh, you know, the, great discussion in terms of the granularity of uh, uh, looking at, at websites and doing the metrics, but uh, most of these companies have other business revenue models. So this is just part of what they're trying to do. Right. I- I'm curious your viewpoint on where the Internet is going vis-à-vis how businesses are integrating in, that into the way that they're going to uh, grow their businesses.
3: Right. Right. Uh- yeah, there's a, there's a big shift going on from, you know, I guess the early days was what is the Internet, and then the next stage was how do I do the Internet, and then now we're decidedly in a stage that is how does the Internet fit. And, you know, ROI, you know, getting back to the theme, back to fundamentals, ROI is a driver now for, uh, for everything that's being done. So our approach is also starting to evolve to more uh, multi-channel. Uh, analysis and, um, and and services, so that we can help firms figure out how the internet fits into what they're doing and how to optimize that particular channel. Does that doesn't sound like I'd answer your question. Right. Okay, so if I could make an attempt to repeat the question for the sound system here, is uh, is that there, there there was you know f- religious fervor over the internet across the board, and now that's dissipated in many industries, but it's still just, uh, ev- in evidence in in in, in some others, uh, and is there some change? And uh, you know, what maybe maybe what you'd like to know is what are some of the characteristics of that of that transition? Yeah, um, and so uh, I think that there was. Uh, there was a big upheaval, and there were a group of you know rabble rousers, and I use the term very fondly because I myself am a rabble rouser at 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 companies that uh, that that use the internet as an opportunity to stand up and look at senior management and say, you don't get it. It's about the internet, and you have to you have to do this, and you have to do that, or it's game over, and we're not going to survive. Right. So that that that. That really got people charged up. And it was really some of the brightest people at these companies. And what uh, you might think might have happened in the last year or so is that senior management would have said, you were wrong, and, you know, the Internet is a joke, and, you know, go back to your day job. Uh, And so, uh, but that's not what happened, because what really has happened is that there has been a sigh of relief uh, that, the threat of someone coming out of nowhere and taking over uh, industries uh, has gone away. But what firms are realizing is that they're, you know, the the, the dot-com upstarts are by and large uh, a reduced threat. But when they look to their left and they look to their right, they see their traditional competitors with which they have always been competing aggressively, tooth and nail. And they see these traditional competitors with substantial, robust efforts in the internet and substantial bets and progress so there is a significant amount of commerce that continues to be conducted online just take b2c i mean it's you know the in the midst of what was uh, you know the throes of a full-fledged swooning of the equity markets over the last holiday season consumers bought twice as much online as they did the year before now someone is getting that business and in in senior management across the country strategic bets are being played on being being placed on the internet what has changed is the driving metrics behind it instead of you have to do this or you don't get it and we will be eaten alive it's well if we Spend this amount of money on the internet channel. We can reasonably expect to reduce our customer service costs by this, to increase customer satisfaction by this much, to improve our retention rates for customers by this much, to uh, be able to cross sell to our customers by this much. So that is that is the that is primarily what has changed in terms of the thinking. Um, I'm not. Uh, I usually. Uh, avoid making blanket statements because I think that all these things are on a spectrum it absolutely is, there is there, you're right there is total uh, internet fervor on one end of it and there's you know, and you know, just the the beginnings of uh, of waking up to the internet at the other end of the spectrum uh, and and the importance of the internet to different industries and even different companies within the same industry Uh, is is highly complicated. So uh, I can't make a blanket statement about the importance of the Internet going forward uh, that it's it's going to be more important or less important to certain industries. But the the fact of the matter is that the adoption continues to be great, strategic bets continue to be made, but they are strongly tied to return on investment and traditional metrics now, as opposed to uh, blind... uh, Uh, Blind glory seeking before
1: okay. uh, One last question Michael over in the left
3: Um, Can you hear me? My name is
0: Mike Alcamo. I'm I work for a small venture fund in New York focusing on traditional media and it seems to me that what you have is a very very strong brand and the theme of today's conference is where do we go from here? So I'm wondering when you ask yourself that uh, where do we go from here one? One thought that occurs to me is that after four or five years of building an extremely strong Internet quality measurement brand, that maybe now is the time to drop the first word and to become a quality measurement company and to extend your brand and take away business from J.D. Power and take away business from A.T. Carney and the other people who serve retail, media, financial services. So I ask, you know. Julio's marketing director is nodding his head. (laughs) <laughs> where where do you where do you go from from here after your D and E round?
3: Well, that's right. Well, that, the, that's precisely where we plan to go. Um, we think that the methodologies that we've developed for the internet are actually superior to man, many of the methodologies that exist uh, for traditional uh, me- for traditional rankings let's just use the word rankings for a moment but we think it's a very uh, it's a very uh, great platform for us to move into multi-channel analysis and quality measurement so yes we will be doing that in addition to that we're looking to because you know the, the question about conflict of interest always you know i i, I don't really uh, it, i don't want that to be an issue anymore so we're going to try to figure out a way to just turn the capabilities that we've Built for Gomez.com into infrastructure as well. Turn our performance media program into something that we can make available throughout the internet to folks who want to drive towards a pay-for-performance marketing model, and and really just kind of be done with with that piece of it and move on to other important things. So those are the the two main areas that we're that we're going to focus on. And so you know it's combining what we're talking about over here with your question, which is where does the internet fit? That's what we see as the as as our as our as our bridge into a more multi-channel analytical. Uh, environment for the firm. Thank you all very much. This is a real pleasure. Uh,
1: before we wrap up, I want to uh, hello. I want to introduce uh, Devin O'Reilly. Please stand, Devin. Devin is our program chair. He put together all the panels. Uh, you can hold your applause. Uh, Eric Hellman, who uh, is, uh, set up our website and handled registration and finance. And, of course, you've met Bruce Jackson already. Uh, and James Gomez, if James is here, yeah, there he is. He, he was our operations guy. Um, Tom Ward isn't here today, but he provided the logo. And, um, of course, Josh Glance was uh, one of the founders, and, we're glad that he could make it again today. So um, let's uh, give them a round of applause for all their work. The um, website on which you can see the proceedings today is uh, the direct website is princeton.edu/webmedia, and uh, once our DSL connection is restored, we will have a link to that site from from our site. So you probably don't need to to look at it yourself, but you can certainly tell your friends about it. And, uh, Devin, I'd like to call you up to the podium now to to, uh, just give a quick rendition on what we'll be hearing today. You have have a microphone. I have a microphone,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Again, I just wanted to... uh Thank Bill for uh, heading up as the uh, chairman of the conference. I think it's uh, we made a lot of progress this year, and, and very excited for the agenda we have for this afternoon. Uh, and just a, a couple quick notes on that. You'll see on page three uh, of the program is the list of the two tracks that we have. Uh, one track focusing on uh, transformation and survival, and one track focusing on alternative growth opportunities. So after we go to, back to Rotunda Green, uh, where registration was, uh, we'll have lunch there, and then come back over to this building in uh, rooms uh, 62 and 64 uh, for these sessions. And uh, as appropriate for an uh, entrepreneurship conference, I suppose, we have a few uh, last-minute updates to the program. Um uh, so I just wanted to note these briefly. Uh, under alternative financing strategies, Arun Gangli will not be attending. He had a, a last-minute conflict, so just wanted to let you know that. Under survivor tactics, uh, the second one on the left there, uh, the speaker will uh, will be Ray Theck at Hale and Door, replacing Richard Matesek. So Rick, or sorry, Ray, will be joining us as a replacement for Richard. Uh, And under the next big idea, uh, bottom right-hand corner, we have a couple substitutions, actually, uh, for uh, all three of the panelists. Uh, So uh, substituting for all three of the panelists will be Don Weiss, Pierre DuPont, and Josh Glantz. Uh, So just wanted to uh, note those for everyone. If there's any questions, I'll be at lunch, and feel free to uh, touch base with me there. Uh, Otherwise, at this point, Bill, I suppose we can all migrate back over to uh, uh, Chancellor Green for lunch.
1: And uh, I should mention we did give Julio a gift, but uh, he he amps grade before we could actually present it to him. So James is chasing him down with it now.